Next on Contemplate. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Shalom because he paid for our shalom with his own life. On him was laid all of mine and your sin, all of our iniquity, all the things that caused shalom to be destroyed. All of that, he took them on himself for the glory that was set before him and out of love for you. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. And this is another Contemplate podcast. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Glad you're listening as we bring you part 10 in our series, Who is Jesus? Today, Pastor David will be talking about peace. Now, I'm sure when you hear that word, it brings something to mind. Maybe a calm feeling, or maybe it's something you just wish you had a lot more of in your life. Well, we'll learn today that peace is much more than what we normally think of, and that there's only one way to find it. Here's Pastor David with today's lesson, recorded live at Acts Church. In Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Messiah, he says, he says this. Let's, let's read it, okay? This is Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Usually we read this at Christmas, uh, but close enough, right? I'm sure some of you already got the Christmas music going by now. I know how you are. Don't, I know your secrets. All right. It says, for unto us, this is uh, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, we've been going through the series on who is Jesus, in the passage that we just read, Isaiah is talking about the coming Messiah, and we see a number of names that the Messiah will be called. And among those names is Prince of Peace. Now, we're going to have to break this down a little bit. What is peace? So, I have an older sister and a younger brother. Now, providentially, I am not a person who likes to engage in arguing very often. Um, you'd be laughing harder if you knew me better. Um, I am an attorney, after all, so uh, I do argue. But, but here's the thing. My brother and sister were not as mature as I was, and so they would often want to argue with me, um, which was, you know, which was difficult. But here's the thing. My mom, who's, who's here today, would probably take the brunt of our arguments, right? Because uh, she would have to listen to me having to explain to my brother and sister why I was right and they were wrong. And those arguments would, would take some time, right? I mean, I don't know what's wrong with, with them. Neither of them are here, so you get it, right? They were wrong. I'm going to tell them that you said so. Uh, anyway, in those times, my mom was probably screaming emotionally um, because she would never yell at us at all because she was perfect in every way. Um, right, mom? Okay. She was probably screaming emotionally, crying out for peace, right? Peace from these contentious children. Just give me peace and quiet, right? Peace and quiet. Peace, peace, right? In this case, peace and quiet. Stop making noise. It's one way that we look at peace. Another story for you, I was taking the bar exam in Tennessee 
So when I got out of law school, I took the bar exam in Washington right after I finished law school, and then I took a course for the bar exam, and then I took the bar exam, okay? And I was able to pass that, but then I went to Tennessee a couple years later. We felt that the Lord had called us to go there to practice law, and so when I took the Tennessee bar exam, I had been out of law school for a couple years, um, and I didn't have a course, but I had some, some books. I mean, you could imagine, for those of you who have been out of school for a while, for instance, if I said, okay, pop quiz, I'm bringing in right now, we're going to do a calculus quiz, I'm going to bring in the papers, most of you would start getting a little nervous about that, right? Right. We would be freaked out, right? It's been a long time since we've been in school. We didn't really, no one told us we had to remember all this stuff, right? We were just trying to get the piece of paper so that we'd get a job. Um, in any case, trying to remember everything that you need to know for the bar exam a couple years later was difficult. It was difficult, and it would give any person some nervousness, even if they're completely prepared, because it's a, it's a big test, right? Um, and so when I took the Tennessee bar exam a couple years after I was out of law school, so I was understandably nervous. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that made things worse. The first essay question I get out of the gate, I had no idea what it was talking about. No idea. I've got to write an essay. No idea what it's talking about. It was like either Tennessee has some very different laws or I had not seen this in my study materials. As I recall, it had something to do with if two first cousins get divorced, are they still cousins? Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Everyone knows, yes, they stay cousins. Um, oh, you all haven't lived there. Okay, no problem. Um, if anyone's from Tennessee, I'm kidding. I love Tennessee. Uh, it's, it's great. So... Um, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know what it was talking about. Okay, still to this day, I have no idea what that question was about. You don't get to see your answers and so on. So I have no idea. So uh, during the first break that day, I had, I had taken this question. I knew I bombed that thing, right? And there's only like seven or eight essay questions, plus some other stuff that you have to do. Uh, learning how to take money from widows and orphans, stuff like this, the normal lawyer stuff, right? But that's, that was a different thing. So I, I have... Uh, I have sort of bombed this first question. I'm out. It's either lunch or a break or whatever. And I'm, and I'm tripping, right? I'm nervous. I came out here. We believe the Lord had called us to do this. I had flown to Tennessee from here um, to take this test. It costs money, all the rest of it. Um, and I'm sitting here thinking, this may not be good. So, you know, I, I get out a book. I had I these study books. I get a book, and I just start reading through some stuff because you're allowed to study in between time. And I start reading through. And I read this question and I read this whole long answer of this question. I'm feeling a little bit more calm, but still super nervous, right? I then go walk into the bar exam for the next section. And what question do you think was the next question on my bar exam? That question that I had just read. Now, you want to talk about peace of mind. I was like, ah, right? Let's go, right? So I start just tearing through this question, amazing detail. I'm citing things and, you know, judges from the 1600s, all this, because they put everything on the thing. So, I, I mean, the people who graded that answer probably thought I was Perry Mason, right? They, they were like, wow. It definitely made up for that first test. But, but I'll tell you, the movement, the change from nervous, I'm going to fail, I didn't get it right. You know how that feels, right? The anxiety and the fear from that to, oh, Lord just served one up for me. Peace, right? Peace of mind. Peace of mind. And so that's one way that we think about peace is when those difficult emotions come and we can be calm and have peace 
of mind. There are other kinds of peace. The American Psychological Association, in 2017, they had a, a survey on stress in America. Stress in America survey. You think there was any stress in America? Uh, there was. Okay. Published in December of last year, and it says this. 63% of Americans say the future of the nation is a significant source of stress. That's higher than the percentage of people who are concerned about money, which is only 62%, work, 61%, and violence and crime, 51%. 63%. Now, 59% of Americans say the United States is at the lowest point that they can remember in its history. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. 56% of the people who said that are old enough to have lived through World War II and still said this is the lowest point that they can remember. All things, all things considered, when it ta we're talking about stress. They're more stressed now than they were during World War II. 57% of baby boomers, 61% of Gen Xers, and 59% of millennials all said this was the worst time they can remember. Now, for the millennials, what do they remember? They're like 10 years old. No offense, but you're not that old. What are people saying? They're saying they're afraid, they're stressed out, they're not peaceful. They want to see order. Order. They want to believe that they and their children and grandchildren are going to be safe, are going to be financially stable, that we have a country where, where things are going to be okay. They want to see order, and that's a type of peace, right? The kind of peace that comes with an orderly society. That kind of peace. And then there's sort of the classic definition of peace, right? Peace on earth is sort of this idea of no war, no more fighting. Let's just all get along. And of course, we have places on the planet right now that are long past having safety and economic stability. The world is actually full of conflict and war. The Independent, which is a publication in the UK, United Kingdom, of the 162 countries covered by the Institute for Economics and Peace's latest study, 162 countries, 151 were in some kind of conflict. Only 11 countries in the entire planet are not involved in some kind of conflict. 151 out of 162. And according to the same source, as a planet, as human beings, we have becoming, been becoming less peaceful every year since 2007. And that's off, you know, after World War II, we started to see more peacefulness. People didn't want to see that happen again. And now we're on a track towards less and less and less peacefulness. And 151 countries are in some kind of conflict. So for most people in the world, peace means the absence of conflict or war, or the absence of noise for my mom, or the absence uh, or the presence of quiet, or the presence of order instead of chaos, or peace of mind instead of nervousness. These are all ways that we use the word peace. But when the Messiah is prophesied as a prince of peace, is that the kind of peace that he was prophesied to provide? Or was it something more? Was it something different than just stopping wars and stopping my siblings from being wrong and arguing with me or helping people pass the Tennessee bar exam instead of being nervous? Is it something more than that? And here's the answer. 
Is it just that or is it something more? The answer is yes, both. It is all those things, but it's something much, much more. The things that we've talked about so far are really the result of what real peace is. They aren't necessarily what real peace is itself. Let me, let me explain what I mean. In the Hebrew language, the word used for peace is shalom. You've probably heard this word, shalom. And shalom is so much richer with meaning than any of the uses of peace that we've been talking about. Okay? Shalom is wholeness. Wholeness. Wholeness in a complex system, okay? It's completeness, it's soundness, it's welfare, it's contentment. All of these things are here, but, but, but focus in on the idea of wholeness and completeness. If we think about wholeness and completeness, the first place that we saw wholeness and completeness was in Eden, right? In Eden, we had, before sin, Adam and Eve living in the garden, living in shalom with God. Wholeness and completeness, communicating with the Lord. No sin, no pain, no sorrow. But then we sinned. And when we sinned, shalom was broken. There was no longer wholeness. When we broke shalom, right? We broke the world with our rebellion against God, taking away shalom, taking it away. And we still see the effects of that, okay? Listen to this. This is Romans 8, 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Shalom was that corruption. It was corrupted and there was no more shalom. From the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Now listen, what do we see here in this passage? Shalom was broken. Creation was subjected to futility, but creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That's what scripture says here. And we too will be redeemed in our bodies. For any of us who are over about 30 years old, we understand that we do not have shalom in our bodies, right? They are no longer whole. Mine's gotten bigger, but it's not whole. Okay? It's not whole. They are no longer complete. That groaning that this verse talks about, it talks about this groaning. Do you know what that sounds like in, in life? It sounds like groaning. My back. Right? Oh, my knee. Whatever it is, it sounds like groaning. My aching back. It also has a smell. It smells something like icy hot. Right? 
or like that chalky, nasty medicines that we take to try to bring shalom back to our bodies. Wholeness back to our bodies. When we are praying for healing for ourselves or for someone else, we pray for healing of the body. We're praying shalom. We're praying for shalom in the body of the ill person. For some of you know, one of our elders is up getting a, a, a stem cell transplant because he has a, a very serious cancer. And when we're praying and we're saying, help these skin cells, the, not the skin cells, stem cells to engraft and help it to all, what we're really praying for is shalom. Make his body whole and complete and sound. Shalom. Shalom. But it was not just the physical world and your physical body where shalom was broken, where wholeness was shattered. It wasn't just the physical. In fact, it is also a spiritual state. We devastated, we devastated our own spirits when we sinned. We became walking dead spiritually. There was no more shalom in our spirits. And if you think the groaning for wholeness that you feel in your physical body and the older you are, the more you probably can connect to this. If you think that that is real, you better believe that the groaning in your spirit is real. And the Holy Spirit draws those. He's drawing those that are far from him, making them understand what they need making them understand that they need to be made alive in the spirit. Shalom in the spirit. But we cannot be made alive in our spirit or in our body by ourselves. We must have someone else provide shalom for us. If you've been trying, how's that working for you? Doesn't work out very well. And there's a reason why. Because we can't do it. And here is the power in that name, power of the name given to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, when Isaiah says he will be called the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, when he says that. Now, you remember the night when Jesus was born? I'm not asking you literally. Some of you may, may remember. No? Uh, what did the angel say? Let's, let's listen to it. Luke 2 uh, 8 through 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. We kind of go over that. I think a lot of times we just think peace. People aren't shooting each other. No, 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 no. Wholeness. It's going to be made Right, peace on earth. This is what the heavenly host was saying. God was bringing peace, shalom, through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, his son. And how did he do it? How did he bring peace? Or a better question, what did peace cost? How did he do it? Well, Isaiah told us about the Messiah coming. Isaiah also wrote this prophecy. And Jesus did it, brought us shalom exactly the way that 
it was prophesied in the book of Isaiah. It says this in Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement for our peace. Our shalom was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed, made whole. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen, the chastisement for our shalom was on him, was upon Jesus. Jesus is the prince of peace. He's the prince of shalom because he paid for our shalom with his own life. On him was laid all of mine and your sin, all of our iniquity. All the things that caused shalom to be destroyed. All of that, he took them on himself for the glory that was set before him and out of love for you. Out of love for you. And because of that sacrifice, we can have shalom, peace, wholeness, completeness. We can have a spirit that is alive and empowered by God, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus rose from the dead physically. So what does that mean? He was the firstborn to rise from the dead, and he defeated death and hell. All that groaning, that physical groaning, that oh, my aching back, that smell of icy hot, proving when he rose again, he proved that we will not only have shalom in our spirits, but our bodies as well. This is the promise of eternal shalom, wholeness, peace for those who call the name of Jesus Christ. You see, this is why Jesus is the Prince of Shalom, because we can have spiritual life now, and the entire universe will be brought back to shalom. The entire universe will be brought back to shalom when he returns and finishes his plan. Now, people would come to me when I was practicing law, and they'd have an injury, right? They got smacked by a car or something happened to them and they would be injured. They'd be hurt. And the law says this about someone who's, if you hurt somebody, the law says this, if you hurt someone, you ought to make them whole. Sound familiar? These things come from a very obvious place. If you harm someone, it is your job to shalom them. That's your job to make them whole. But here's the thing. Unfortunately, no matter how much money my clients ever received for their injuries, it was never truly enough to shalom them. They were still hurt. You can't fix hurt with money. Anyone who's had a bad enough headache or a migraine knows rubbing dollar bills on it doesn't do anything. <laughs> Have you not tried that? It doesn't work. That's why I would make sure to take most of the money they recovered because it wasn't going to help them anyway, okay? Um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We, we have an imperfect system for making shalom because here's the thing, we can't undo the damage that we cause, right? We can't, we can say, I'm sorry, I can throw money at you, I can do a million things, but I cannot truly undo if I hurt you or harm you or say something mean to you, I can apologize, but I can't undo. We can move forward and forget it and forgive, but I can't undo. There's only one who can make 
something new. We can't unsin, but listen to what God is able to do. He's able to fully restore that which has been broken. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Can you do that? Because I can't do that. You've been listening to Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. And this is Contemplate. It's true, we simply can't fix the hurts in our own lives or the lives of others. Only Jesus can. What a blessing that His gift of new life is free to all who simply ask. Now, if you've got questions about Jesus and finding that peace that Pastor David talked about today, I hope you'll come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. We would love to meet you, answer your questions, and help you find that shalom in your life too. For directions and all the info you need, go to axcamus.org. That's axcamus, camus with a C, axcamus.org. Or call us at 360-885-9000. That's 360-885-9000. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Thanks for listening. And you'll want to be sure and listen to the next podcast as Pastor David brings us the powerful conclusion of this series, Who is Jesus? Here on Contemplate. Contemplate.